Are you constantly on the go? The newly updated Jesus Calling mobile app makes it easy to feel God's presence wherever you are. Read devotions and scriptures, purchase products, take notes, and so much more. The app is available for purchase on both Apple and Android. Download it today. My mother had a saying, she used to say, it's not where you live, it's how you live. She just instilled in us that we could do big things, we could go to big places, and we just have to keep the Lord first. And I know that's where my grit and optimism comes from. I just rely on God. It's as simple as that. Welcome to the Jesus Calling Podcast. All of us have faced times in our lives that felt like battles. Maybe you've had moments of disappointment and pain where you felt like no one understood you or you had no support system. Perhaps someone hurt you with their words or planted a seed of doubt in your mind that you'd never get to where you want to be in life and that trying to reach for more would be impossible. Here's some comforting news. We're not alone when we face battles in our lives. We're not left to fight by ourselves. God is greater than whatever we're facing and He has promised He will never leave us. Our guests this week held on to the promise that they could stand strong in God's power when people or circumstances might have crushed their spirits. Samuel Rodriguez experienced situations in his young life where discrimination threatened to divert him from the path he was meant to follow to become a pastor, author, movie producer, and advisor to three of the last four U.S. presidents. Sint Marshall endured the abuse and abandonment of her father, but her faith in the Lord and the guidance of her mother led her to thrive despite her circumstances, ultimately becoming a highly successful businesswoman and the CEO of the Dallas Mavericks NBA franchise. Let's begin with Sint's story. I am Sint Marshall. I am the wife of one and the mother of four. I am the CEO of the Dallas Mavericks. I am also the CEO of Marshalling Resources, my own consulting company, and a former executive at AT&T, and a passionate community leader, uh, primarily in the education and adoption space. My parents left Birmingham, Alabama when I was three months old. They made a decision to move out west and get out of the Jim Crow segregated south. And so my parents moved to the San Francisco Bay Area. Uh, we landed in the Easter Hill public housing projects. And I have uh, three sisters and two brothers. So my mom and dad. So the eight of us were in a four bedroom kind of deluxe unit uh, in the projects. And I actually think I had a good childhood. Uh, some people hear about some of the things that I experienced with uh, domestic violence. Uh, my mother was a victim of domestic violence. Uh, many of her children, including myself, were as well at the hands of my father. When I was 15, my father uh, broke my nose when the summer uh, after my mother had told him they were going to get a divorce. And I remember when we came back to our deluxe unit in the project and uh, he had taken just about everything. My mother kept uh, me very focused as, you know, she kept my brother and sister uh, very focused as well, because there were three of us still at home. And I went back to school with that brace on my nose. And it was a pivotal point in my life because three teachers and a principal embraced me, embraced my mother, which is why I just truly love educators to this day. They embraced me and got me involved in all kinds of activities. And kind of the rest is history. Uh, I got all these scholarships to the college of my choice. I took, chose the University of California at Berkeley. And not because it's the number one public institution in the world, 
but because it was uh, close to home. And of course, I witnessed a lot of things growing up. I call it the good, the bad, uh, the great and the ugly. Uh, but fortunately for me, I had a mother who put two books in my hand at an early age, a math book in one hand and a Bible in the other, and uh, told me if I kept my head in these two books, I would make it. My mother and these people in my life taught me the meaning of four words and taught me to focus on four words, and I still live by those. Dream, focus, pray, and act. So I had some pretty big dreams. I remember my sixth grade teacher, uh, Mrs. Patricia Rosen. I was a student of the month. She would always take the student of the month on a trip on a Saturday. And I have vivid memories of her taking me to San Francisco, and which was across you know, the Bay Bridge, and then to Zim's Hamburgers. It was the first time I had a big medium rare hamburger. I didn't even know you could you know, make hamburgers like that. And she took me to see My Fair Lady. So the first time I had been in a big theater and all that. And just the, the trip to San Francisco across the bridge, being in that restaurant with her, going into that big theater with the big curtain, I can still see it. It was just a world that I had never been in. And so then I was like, okay, I want to be Miss Rosen. Okay, so she was just exposing me to all kinds of things. And what she told me when I told her I wanted to be like her, she says, no, you're going to be you. When I was... Um, the first uh, black and female senior class president. That was because when I was in the ninth grade, my two older sisters graduated from high school uh, when I was a freshman. And I remember sitting at that graduation and there were two white gentlemen on the stage, the student body president and the senior class president. And so I asked my mom at the graduation, I said, can black girls be up on the stage? Can black girls be senior class president and student body president? And she just looked and she said, yes. And I said, I can do that. She said, of course, you can do whatever you want to do. I always saw myself as the person to help everybody and to provide resources and to be there for people. I remember a prayer that I had uh, as a teenager when I started college. I asked the Lord to bless me, uh, to have a good job one day and to have money so that I could help people and I could write checks to charities and I could help people do things. So my first big job was supervising uh, operators. And I was 21 years old. Most of these operators in my particular group, they had 30 plus years, most of them with the company. And so I walked in and I let them know, which I, I let them know the obvious. I don't know any of this. Okay. I've, <laughs> I've never worked here before. I'm fresh out of college, but my job was to serve them. And so I needed them to help me learn the job. And I would, uh, you know, be their advocates and make sure they had a great work life. So that's how I started out at 21 years old. I was on a fast track management program, but I wanted to assure them it wasn't like hit and run. I wasn't just there to check off this particular supervisory job that I was, I was really all in with these people. And I just fell in love with them and they fell in love with me. And we ended up with the best results. The best results ever came out of our shop because these ladies have figured out how to look out for each other, how to be treated with respect, how to really take the teamwork to the next level. I learned from them and I love these ladies. I want them to be happy. And so it's all about the people. Everything I do now is based on what I learned from these people when I was 21 years old. My leadership philosophy is around three L's and it's listen to, learn from, and love the people. 
I have realized uh, just in my time as a leader, and I kind of realized it early on when I started with the company, with AT&T, that if I truly listen to the people and listen, you know, there are different levels of listening. So, but if I listen at the level where I'm truly trying to understand, okay, not listening to respond, not listening to argue, not listening to form, you know, my counterpoints, but truly listen to people, not just hear them, listen to their needs, listen to what they want, listen to their desires. If I do that well, if I learn from the people who are doing the work, truly learn from them. I had a big district manager job uh, at AT&T, and so I, that was my first really big kind of director role in the company. And I ended up going to pole climbing school. And the union could not believe that. In fact, they were so excited about it. They came to my last day when I had to climb the pole and do the train, you know, pass the test and all that. And they had, you know, they were clapping and all that. They couldn't believe that I did that. And I did it because I really wanted to learn about what all these folks were doing. I wanted to experience it. When I joined the Mavericks, it was as a result of getting uh, some text messages and a call from Mark Cuban, who I did not know at the time. Please don't judge me, but my husband had to tell me who Mark Cuban was. And so he, he knew that I had done some work at AT&T, you know, some, was a leader there uh, and had worked in a lot of different jobs. And my name came to him. I mean, highly recommended to someone who could probably help him uh, address his culture and, and lead his organization on the business side. And he was very sincere and genuine about wanting to change the culture and address the issues, the issues that he knew of, but he knew that we needed to dig more into it. The NBA had an investigation underway. Of course, after I joined, we ended up uh, doing our own investigation as well. But what I told Mark I would do is pray about it because I didn't know anything about the business of basketball. This was about, I think about nine or 10 months into me starting my consulting company and doing the work I was doing with Dow and getting ready to pick up some other big clients. And so my business was going extremely well and I was very, very happy. But the week before Mark had called me, uh, my husband and I had decided we were going to move actually back to North Carolina where I had worked for a few years and something, and I know what it was, it was the Lord just told us to call off the house move. And we didn't know why. We truly didn't know why. And so then when Mark started talking to me and I said, I'd go home and pray about it. And then when I was leaving his office, these two women stopped me and started telling me their stories. And they were, they were just pleading with me to come and join this team and lead them. And I just started thinking about the fact that we had called off the move. Maybe this was the reason I had written a blog and posted it that morning about impact. And it was because these teenagers were protesting in Parkland, Florida about gun violence because of what happened at their school. And then the Reverend Dr. Billy Graham had passed away that morning. And of course, so I'm looking at these teenagers and this 99-year-old, and I'm thinking about both this group of teenagers and this preacher who had a great impact. And so here I found myself smack dab in the middle age-wise and thought, what impact am I going to have? I came home, I prayed about it. I thought about the fact that the house move had been called off And it all came together to let me know, yes, this is the next move. This is where the Lord wants me to have impact right now. I don't know for how long, but this is what he wants me to do. And so the next day I came back to meet with Mark and I was in the building for three hours before he even knew 
that I was in the building because when I walked in, people just grabbed me. They took me in a conference room and they were just filing in one by one, two by two, just telling me uh, different stories. And so I, I knew I had made the right decision. So that's what happened. And, and basically the way, there's a recipe. I didn't transform the Dallas Mavericks. I think uh, our whole team did because our recipe was we laid out a vision that said we would set the global standard for diversity and inclusion in the NBA. We had changed out most of our leadership team. And so uh, we went from no women or people of color in permanent leadership positions to 50% women and 50% people of color. So our workplace promise is every voice matters and everybody belongs. And so that's what we established. And so every day we try to just get better and better. I mean, we are not by any means uh, perfect, uh, but at least uh, we are not the organization that we were four years ago. And that is a credit to all the amazing people uh, who work at the Dallas Mavericks and who decided they would be all in on this. So I, I'm very blessed to lead these people. We're all equipped to face the adversity and the unexpected things that come into our lives. And then there are people around us. There is a village, there's a community of people who are there to help get you up and to help you get through it. And with faith in God and with standing on his promises, you can truly thrive, not just get through it, but truly thrive through the unexpected because we have all been chosen to go through something. When people are in need, whether it's a physical, mental, emotional need, I ask them if it's okay if I send them something. And Jesus Calling is the book that I send. I love this book. I have given this book to so many people. It is truly my go-to book. I was diagnosed with uh, stage three colon cancer, one lymph node before stage four, uh, back in December, 2010. Pretty bleak prognosis. Just had, you know, my first birthday. And now I'm told I have colon cancer. For me, once I got diagnosed, it was hard to hear. It was, it, it truly was an out-of-body experience. And then I had to start laying out a plan, what I needed to do, all of that just to kind of, you know, get my mind right so I could tackle this. Going through chemo was very hard for me. When at some point, you know, my mind was functioning well, you know, prior to chemo brain, but my body wasn't. There are times in our lives where he will let us know he is truly in charge. And when he brings us through it, we can't point to anybody else because there is no doubt that he brought us through it because he had a plan. It was not easy to yield. At some point, just because of physical weakness, you know, it's easy to just kind of give up because you just have to pass out. But mentally, it's hard not to be in control. And so I let him be in control. And then I'd let him guide my steps on, you know, what was the plan? It was a horrendous battle for me, but thank God I made it. It was extremely hard not to be in charge because I've always had a plan. And so I learned a very valuable lesson about even with the skills that I have, uh, what I'm equipped to do, the talents that I have, the success that I've had, all of that, that it all came from him and he is in control. And still things do happen. And that's one of the life lessons that I've learned is bad things do happen to good people. And so we have to accept diversity and never give up and let the Lord guide us through it. It's good for me that I can just know that one day all the trouble will be worth it. 
one day I will see him face to face. But even before then, even before then, I can just turn to him right now, knowing that he is a very present help in my trouble right now. It's good to have that kind of reassurance that I don't have to fight my battles myself and that I don't have to travel the tough terrain alone, that I have him with me every step of the way. You can find St. Marshall's book, You've Been Chosen, wherever books are sold. Stay with us for Samuel Rodriguez's story after this brief message. Motherhood. It's a journey like no other, teeming with love, unparalleled dedication, and moments that pierce the very essence of your soul. It's a trek that demands to be celebrated, lauded, and embraced in its entirety. Celebrate the moms in your life this Mother's Day with two beautiful gift books, Jesus Calling for Moms by Sarah Young and Grace for the Moment for Moms by Max Licato. These heartfelt devotionals will remind the moms in your life just how special they are. Jesus Calling for Moms and Grace for the Moment for Moms are available now where all books are sold. During times of transition and unknown next steps, it's more important than ever to cling to the promises of God and to tune your ear to what Jesus has to say. Jesus Calling for Graduates is an encouraging compilation of 150 devotions from Sarah Young's brand. Grads will find topics such as discerning God's will, self-worth, trust, support, and much more. Jesus Calling for Graduates is perfect for both high school and college graduates as they embark on the next chapter. Look for our special custom edition of Jesus Calling for Graduates, available exclusively at faithgateway.com. Samuel Rodriguez wears many hats, pastor, author, movie producer, and advisor to three of the last four U.S. presidents. He shares about the struggles he faced as a young high school student when discrimination reared its ugly head against him, and how he drew strength from his family's resolve to not be defined by what others thought they could do or be, instead relying on the truth of God's promise that everything is possible for those who believe. Samuel Rodriguez, lead pastor of New Season Church in Sacramento, California, president of the National Hispanic Christian Leadership Conference, movie producer, author, evangelical Trekkie, and diehard Yankee fan. I was raised in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. I'm a native of Pennsylvania in uh, the Lehigh Valley, the old Rust Belt. And I was born in a very uh, working class neighborhood, which impacted my Calvinistic work ethic. My dad was a Mack truck worker, a UAW guy. My mom was a homemaker. So I was raised in a very religious, faith-based, saturated community with a strong work ethic, a commitment to both faith and science. High school, uh, sophomore year, I had a meeting with my guidance counselor who looked at me and in spite of the fact that I was enrolled in a number of honors courses, in spite of the fact that I demonstrated throughout my educational journey in elementary, middle school, and my early years of high school, a commitment to both mathematics and science, I was in advanced calculus and so forth. 
my guidance counselor, in essence, not in essence, but explicitly stated, Sam, your kind of people proceed for the 11th and 12th grade in vocational training, go tech, which means you're going to have to choose one of the following careers, auto mechanic or carpentry. Uh, and those two are the two primary career paths for your kind of people. I went back home, explained this to my mom, who of course pushed back and repudiated and rebuked every single descriptor nomenclature assigned to me from my guidance counselor. And we proceeded in a college preparatory journey and it enabled us to accomplish what we're currently accomplishing or achieving by the grace of God and for his namesake. I did experience racism, discriminatory practices, but we did not permit these issues to define us. We had an option whether or not we would be perpetual victims or whether or not we would utilize that negative energy for the purpose of flipping the script and achieving things that we had not achieved before in our family legacy line. And by the grace of God alone, we've been able to do the latter. We've been able to do occupy spaces that in our family we, were, we have not occupied before. And we know that it's just a beginning that our children, our children's children will do greater things. Love expels all fear that mercy triumphs over judgment. All things are possible. The National Hispanic Christian Leadership Conference is the Hispanic Evangelical Association. Started in 1992 in its first incarnation as the Alliance of Evangelical Churches for the Latino Community. We are this, this wonderful network committed to life, religious liberty, and biblical justice. We aim to reconcile Billy Graham's message of salvation with Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s March for Justice. We have this crazy dream that the church can be both Billy Graham and Dr. King that it can be both righteousness and justice, truth and love, sanctification and service, conviction and compassion, orthodoxy and orthopraxy, ethos and pathos. We believe the cross is both vertical and horizontal, and for too long, Christians in America and in the Western world, to a great degree, have created a dichotomy that does not exist, which means that the majority of Christians are either vertical or horizontal, but very few have reconciled the vertical or the horizontal. So if you look at the cross as two pieces of wood, one vertical and horizontal, the strongest part of the cross is the nexus, the point of convergence, where they intersect. This is the place where we marry the optics of redemption with the metrics of reconciliation. This is the place where the fishes meet the bread. And that's where covenant and community come together, where we lift up our hands and worship to Jesus, and we stretch our hands across both to the left and to the right in compassion to our fellow man. That's the mission and the vision of the National Hispanic Christian Leadership Conference. We've had the opportunity of serving three presidents, George W. Bush, President Obama, and President Trump, and serving them on a plethora of issues. So with integrity, we proceed in kind. We walk into the White House to the West Wing. We have conversations regarding subjects that have great implications regarding civility, regarding life, regarding religious liberty, regarding biblical justice, be it immigration reform, educational uh, justice, uh, justice reform issues, and so forth. 
alleviating poverty around the world. We've participated in all the aforementioned conversations and areas that required spiritual faith-based engagement. And, you know, we walked into the White House and afterwards we get a Starbucks and remember that it's a conversation, that you're there by the grace of God, that you do things with humility and pray that every word that comes out of your mouth is a productive word that unifies and brings people together. Daily prayers and devotions are an integral part, if not the most critical part of who I am and what I do. It is a beautiful exercise that I engage in every single day. And in full disclosure, without that exercise, without prayer, without devotions, I can't continue that day. So every single day, pray the Word of God, listen for His voice, which more often than not comes to you in a very still, small voice, a whisper. I'm praying for three things. It's 1 Peter 1.16, God make us holy. John 17.21, God make us one, which is a unity. I'm asking for a prescription of reconciliation. Unity in the church and unity in society, bringing people together. And the last one is Matthew 5, 14 through 16. God make us light. So make us holy, make us one, make us light. And I do believe that's the chronological order. And by holiness, I mean just living out the fullness of the finished work of Christ through his doing, through his spirit. Uh, It's not what we do for God, it's what God already did for us. And God make us holy, make us one, bring us together. We do great things when we come together and make us light. I don't want us to, in perpetuity, whine about darkness or about the dark days we're living in. Luke 137 is the passage that guides me every single day. There is nothing impossible for God. Another version reads, the word of God never fails. Another version reads, there is nothing that God cannot do. And because my trust is exclusively in Him, we have been able to see these assignments and these appointments in mobilizing the Hispanic Church in America, over 42,000 churches in our network with with 30 chapters, and, and by the grace of God serving in an advisory capacity to three U.S. presidents, in producing multiple films with major studios in Hollywood, We understand this is all by the grace of God. And if we walk with humility and integrity, if we open doors for those that follow us to do greater things, if we don't drink our own Kool-Aid and understand that these are opportunities to expand the kingdom of heaven here on earth, to amplify a message of hope and mercy and love and truth and grace to a very broken world. If our commitment is to be light in the midst of darkness and not just whine about the darkness, these doors will continue to open. And here I am today, by the grace of God, with that corresponding assignment. To learn more about Samuel Rodriguez and his work, please visit PastorSam.com. If you'd like to hear more stories about advocacy, please listen to our episode with Didi and Greg Lehman. Next time on the Jesus Calling Podcast, we'll hear from Chris Nickick the first person with Down syndrome to ever complete an Ironman triathlon, and his father, Nick, who took on the role of Chris's coach. 
I view it as our responsibility, as our gift from God to be responsible and accountable to helping our children become the best they can be, to teach them the things we can teach them, to encourage them, to inspire them. And that's really been my role the last few years with Chris, is I've had to find a way to help him develop a plan that he could follow. And then I've had to find a way to teach him how to get motivated and inspired and stay inspired so he can pursue his dreams. Want to hear more inspirational stories of people who have been changed by a closer walk with God? Then subscribe today to the Jesus Calling Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please be sure to leave a review, which helps us reach and inspire others with these stories. Plus, if you like seeing our guests as well as hearing them, you can find video interviews available on our YouTube channel at youtube.com Jesus Calling Book on Facebook and on the Jesus Calling Instagram page.